House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren sitting at the controls, responsible for everything wrong in the world today. <laughs> and uh, now today uh, on the East Coast, we have uh, David North Martino, Mrs. Whiskey Martino. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Al. <laughs> Mrs. Whiskey. Yeah, la- locked in the basement where he belongs. Absolutely. Chained up in the uh, basement of the House of Mystery. Igor. Igor. <laughs> Igor. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's another dark show. Well, not really. We're, we always have fun with this. But uh, interesting writer we got all the way from the U.K., don't worry, she didn't fly here. Her arms aren't tired. She's uh, on the phone, as as we do things nowadays with COVID. And we're going to talk about one of her books, probably both, but um, I know that A History of the Vampire in Popular Culture, Love at First Bite, great name, and that's Violet Fenn. Thank you for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Wow, and this is by uh, Pen and Sword. We've had a lot of Pen and Sword authors in streets. Uh, on and off, so that's that's great. That's good, good publisher, hey? They're an awesome publisher, yeah. They, and and they're nice because they're fairly small, but they're a very good specialist. You know, they're into their history. They're nice people, and and yeah, and they're happy to take on slightly odd projects, I suppose, compared to some places. Yeah. But I like that. I like the theme of um, it's not the same old, same old. Like you look through the titles through pen and sword and there's things like this with vampire there's things with you know there's books actually that cover a lot of areas that you don't see anywhere else yeah yeah they've made their name for being a bit of a niche history publisher and and they've been happy to roll with that a bit and not just stay, stick with because they started with military publishing and yeah. it would have been easy for them to stick with that i think because there's always a steady market for it you know people love books about the wars and all this sort of thing but yeah they they they're brave and they'll go for slightly off kilter stuff sometimes that's really cool but yeah i I mean i've just just finished writing my third book for them so they must be all right because i've stayed with them a while now well yeah i mean but i noticed okay so now on on this on this newer book the history of of the vampire popular culture i can't speak today but the (laughs) the history of vampires now that is the number one new release in you know victorian uh literary on amazon.com so on the states Oh, no, that's amazing, because I did not know that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah just so you know. So that's a, that's a really good, it's always a good sign, um, because then you know that you have a certain amount of people that appreciate what you're doing uh, out the get-go, like they're waiting for it, or when they see it, yeah, they jump, it, and that's, you know. It's one of those things, it's always been popular, and it, but it's a, it's a bit of a, frightening move because people love vampires and people are going to have an opinion on it and you just have to hope that it's 50 50 you know people who think everything you've said is wrong and they know right and, and the other lot will, will <laughs> like it you know yeah. so it's kind of you're prepared from the start with a topic like this that you know people are going to love it or hate it sort of thing you, you, yeah it's kind of one of those um what do you think that is like i don't know the world's really changed I, you know in the last five years we've seen some real um Change, big changes, and, and, and not even just political, but just in the way people um, adapt to things. Like, you know, so you get the vampire, for instance, they either have one frame of thought and that's it. Like, there's no, uh, people are not as open to really uh, explore other ideas. It's just like, it's, it's got to be this and that's it. 
yeah. I, I think a lot of that is actually people always did do that. Um, it's just that they didn't have an outlet for making their opinion known, I think. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, because if you, ten, even five, ten years ago, if, if you loved a book, you could maybe, if you were really stalkerish, write to the publisher, write to the author, which everyone loves, by the way, you know, write to the authors, tell them they're brilliant. Because, or even just, just say hi, you know, people love this. Um, any contact is nice. But um, people didn't have readers or viewers of TV, films and whatever, didn't have an outlet. They could talk to their friends, like, so I love this, but I didn't like that bit or whatever. And I think social media in particular has given people an outlet for every last thought that comes out of their head. And I, most of the time, I love it. I love the fact that people can tell you everything they think about everything, you know, and you can hear it and you can listen. Because I'm good at blocking it out and ignoring bits of the, you know, I'm very good at filtering my Twitter feed, you know, and this sort of thing. But um, it does mean that if somebody has a, an opinion, it doesn't have to be a negative opinion, but just a very strong opinion about something you've written, um, they can tell you, you know, they can post it all over in reviews or they can say it on, on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Um, 99% of the time, I love it. I do like it. People are entitled to their opinion. Yeah. Um, but I don't think, I don't think personally that people have necessarily changed. I think they've just grabbed this outlet for vo voicing off and they've gone for it because they've not had it before. Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy. I, I see all sorts of things and uh, I'm getting really good at avoiding it now. I mean, but I, I've been in quite a few of the car crashes online mm. over the years, but it's not so much now. I, I can let. 99 you get, you get used to working it, don't you? I mean, yeah. these days, if something starts ticking off, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, this ain't my first rodeo. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I can just <laughs> right. switch it off, cut it down, and, and, and we're done, because I know not to keep arguing. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, and, and, I am, and, and you learn to filter and whatever, and I'm really lucky. that I, I generally think, in general, online and in real life, most people are nice. They are. Sometimes they get the wrong angle, or they get carried away, or whatever, and they think everyone should agree with them. Mostly people are okay. Yeah. They're, they're certainly better live in that way than they are online. Because online, I think, there's, I think there's a lot of things going on and people just, um, it's their vent in a way. Yeah, you know? totally. And, and everyone's scared. You know, this last year in particular, people are scared. And if, if they get through that by yelling on the internet about politics or books or films or whatever, um, then then great you know we don't have to listen to it we can turn it off or all and then and i've seen an awful lot of people get a lot of support from the internet that they wouldn't have had in the real world um you know some of my some of my dearest now real life friends started off as internet friends she sort of 15 20 or more years ago right um and we've just grown up together through forums and and you know msn and myspace and this sort of thing so it's it's a good thing, and yeah, I think some uh, a lot of people are. It's their only outlet. Yeah, yeah, it's better than a gun. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, th and this is the thing, you know. This is the thing because it's funny she said that because I live in England, you know, and right. the worst we do is somebody shouts, somebody throws things, and that's the end of that, you know. And I sometimes think, God. We, you know, we think Britain's a bit rough sometimes, but God, it's not. You know, the worst we do is yell at people on the internet most of the time. Right. So I really, really, yeah, I shouldn't moan too much about this country. No, no, so. I've been in Canada for over a year and a year now since it started, and uh, 
Yeah, God, nothing happens here. <laughs> no, I know, we should be grateful. We should be grateful for being bored, shouldn't we? Yeah, you know, if any, yeah, they say, well, Canadians are boring. Well, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm take, down with boring. Yeah, 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 let me, you know, we fight about French. I, I, you know, it's just, that's fine. You know, it doesn't, yeah. get, doesn't get worse than that. <laughs> Tell you, uh, okay. So now you, your vampires. Now you've written two books, but this I, I noticed the vampire book, and then the one before you put sex and sexuality, Victorian Britain. So I I see two things about both books, and one is Victorian uh, era Britain, and also sexuality. So what draws you into those two subjects when you're writing a book like this? Right, I because. Um, and and it's, it really ties together in the vampire one, but it's relevant to the Victorians as well. Um, there are only two things in life that affect everybody, whether you like it or not, whatever your religion or non or whatever, um, it, and that's sex and death. So because whether you indulge in it or do it or hate it or whatever, you're a product of sex, even if it was in a test tube, you're a, the biological product of it, you know. Right. Um, and everybody dies. Taxes should have been the final one, but obviously, you know, whatever Franklin said, that seems to be optional these days. Um, but so they are the things that affect everybody, and I think they are um, mortality and sexuality are very, very closely entwined. You know, because it's where you're you're most vulnerable in both situations. Um, and I've always been interested in that sort of thing. I before I did what I'm doing now. I ran a website called The Skull Illusion, which collected post-mortem photography. It wasn't mine. It was stuff that I found swimming on the internet and gave it at home. And it ended up being absolutely massive. and have tens of thousands of visitors a day. And it was mostly Victorian post-mortem photography, you know, the sort where they would dress them and make them, try to prop them up to make them look alive. And that sort of thing, I mean, I realised what a fascination people had with death. And then because I've never had any filters in my life, you know, I would always talk about, you know, sex and things like that. And people could always come to me and ask me questions, I would say. And I ended up quite randomly then, out of the blue, working for Metro in the UK um, as a freelance writer. I'd written off and on for years and got a gig freelancing for them. And they rapidly realised that I would cover any topic. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't embarrassed about it. And, I mean, they've got daily viewers in the millions so and I was the one that was happy to sit there and write about how to make alien sex eggs you know so <laughs> so it, it kind of got like that and then they Metro I had a wonderful editor at Metro called Yvette Castor and um, she asked me if I found she knew my interest and asked me if I fancied doing a series about historical sexuality so we did that for Metro about three or four years ago now um and I just sort of became known for, for, for writing about sex and death. You know, they are, I, I say on my website and everything, they're my most passionate subjects. I once got turned down for a job at an in, undertaker's um, for being too interested in death. <laughs> because they, they thought I knew too much about it and it was a bit weird. I mean, you'd think knowing a lot about death would be the absolute perfect qualification, but apparently not. Um, and and I, so I've just sort of run with it ever since. And then you... The Victorians are an interesting one. Um, it's, it's an era that a lot of people think is prim. You know, they think it's the, literally buttoned up the Victorians and, oh, they didn't have sex and it was in the dark. And it's, they were not. Whatever era you look at, however far back in history you go in, whichever country, 
people are still doing the same things. The only thing that changes is how much of it they're showing publicly, usually for fear of shame or censure or punishment. Um, so just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. It's almost certainly happening. Um, so that sort of dichotomy of, of the premise on the surface and this roiling sort of um, cesspit, sometimes underneath with the Victorians, especially with the, the contrast between rich and poor, um, that was just fascinating. And then, of course, the vampires kind of come out of that. I mean, vampires have been my thing all my entire life. You know, I'm 51 now. I grew up watching Universal Horror Movies, um, and I grew up with goth music. That's, you know, my, absolutely my passion. Um, and it just never left. I loved, saw Christopher Lee as Dracula when I was really young, um, and Bella Lugosi, and I remember watching, I couldn't watch Nos Nosferatu, perhaps in my teens or twenties, um, but it was all the old ones. I love the old monster things. I love the Adams Family, the original, and then right. the monsters and that sort of thing. So, and you go, you get into modern versions, you know, you look at the Adams family, but they look Victorian. You know, they, they look Victorian, even though they're living in the modern day, brightly coloured America. Um, and they've got that same sort of hidden passion. So the two topics are, are really closely entwined, I think. You know, sex and, and mortality are at the, at the back of most people's lizard brain, I think, if you dig down. Are you talking about the Queen? <laughs> and look, we don't talk openly about the lizards, that, but we know. We all know about the lizards, we just don't talk about them. Well, it's just, you know, it's big rumours here, you know. That, uh, I, I, I'm unprepared, it's not even rumours. It's not even rumours, you know, they're just lizards. They're lizards. It's all I'm, real, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm waiting for the guillotine, mate. I'm, I'm waiting for the guillotine to make a comeback, but, you know, it, it's... <laughs> It, yeah, it's it's parasitic. Don't stop me on the monarchy, honestly. It's parasitic. We shouldn't have it. We, we're in an era of democracy, and that should be it. So oh, yeah, I've got nothing yeah. against them personally. Yeah. I, I genuinely think, in some ways, they're good for the economy. They're good. They're a good, you know, public view of the country. But they're pointless and they're outdated. Just stop it now. Stop with the queen. That'll yeah. do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's only one queen, and that's RuPaul. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it, it, that'll do. We'll have, RuPaul can be queen of everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, get, at least at least she works. Boy. And she uh, looks better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, she, yeah. She, put, she puts the hours in. She looks good. She doesn't show her scaly skin in public. We're all right. We're good. Right. How do, have, <laughs> can you... How, how does... Uh, how did the vampire get to what it is? And I mean, when you look at the original uh, Drac Dracula book and idea of Dracula, mm. and now it's turned into this, like like you said, it's so, so it's a real popular culture thing. There's so many movies and shows and everything, so it's fascinating. And then there's even groups out there that think they are vampires and they drink blood and. Um, and all that. Yeah. How how did it get so serious? Where people changed their lifestyles about something that's just really a, um, a story. Well, it started serious because it started based on real things. Dracula, obviously, is not the first was not the first vampire book by a long shot. Um, the first sort of gothic literature would have been The Castle of Otranto by Horace Walpole, which was 1764. That's not a vampire story, but you've got your monster in a crumbling castle and all that sort of thing. So that was kind of the birth of it, and you've got the romantic 
poets and all this sort of thing. Um, but a lot of the early stories, there are stories of what we would now call vampires throughout history and prehistory and, you know, and all the rest of it. Up until the sort of 17, 1800s, they would more likely have been referred to as revenants, which is literally the undead. Um, and they would be, they would have been portrayed as such, you know, as in The Walking Dead. Somebody's climbed out of the grave, they look terrible, they're, they're trying to get revenge on whoever killed them. But though, and though there's an awful lot of folklore about that, um, King James of, of England wrote a, the, an uh, encyclopedia of demonology in the 15 something or other. And, um, and that was, you know, that's the king writing about demons. And he was, he was trying to work out, and he'd actually, there's a long piece, you can get, you can find the whole thing online. There's a long piece where he's trying to figure out how incubus and succubus work and how the, the demon would take the sperm to the human woman without it getting cold. And basically, he has to run really fast. It's not very <laughs> um, But so, the, so the, the idea behind this has been going for centuries because people are scared of the undead. You know, they're scared of, it, it, don't forget, for a very long time, you couldn't be entirely sure somebody was dead, you know. To this day, the only 100% definite um, indication of death is decomposition, because you've got your moral arguments about brain death and, you know, organ death and, and, and your heart stopping and your brain stopping. And depending on your religious outlook, those mean different things. So the only... Before the days of being able to see what was going on, people weren't that sure, so they were worried about it. And so there's stories of it from, from centuries and centuries and centuries ago. But you've got the, the very first sort of vampire, as we would know, it was 1819, and that was um, John William Polidori, who um, wrote The Vampire, but with a Y, The Vampire, and um, based it on a fragment, which was actually just called a, frag the, a fragment, by Byron. Um, he was Byron's physician. They ended up falling out, and there was all sorts of trouble about it all. Um, but Polidori wrote The Vampire based on a little snippet of a story by Byron, and basically um, the main character was based on Byron himself. Um, wasn't all that flattering. Um, but he was the first person to be your, you know, your deadly man in a suit and you know and, and the glamorous and this sort of thing um so that was the start of it i mean that's only 200 years ago so and then you've got sheridan le fanu you've got camilla who was you know basically a lesbian vampire in the 1870s um and then stoker ran with that in nine in 1897 um he really obviously is the template now for vampires ever since you know they're all really based on on dracula um but it's interesting because we think we know everything from dracula and we don't really i was talking to somebody just today about um nosferatu the film which was based on dracula without permission and it should have been destroyed and it wasn't and that's why we've still got it today because there was one copy of it kept um murnau who produced who filmed and produced nosferatu introduced the idea of sunlight killing a vampire in order to change it slightly, he was kind of hoping it would it would help his copyright argument that it wasn't the same as Dracula. It didn't help his copyright argument. He lost in court. But so the, so they've developed relatively recently. And then um, and I, I don't know why it is that people have taken it so passionately and run with it. People have got their their idea of what they think a vampire does, you know. And if you disagree, then you're wrong and they're right. And um, they, every vampire you. Could, 
vampires do different things. It, it doesn't matter. You watch a different film, a different read a different book. They all do different things. You know, I mean, the the pinnacle or actually the nadir of that is Twilight and the Sparkly Vampires. Um, because and I, people think I hate Twilight. I don't hate Twilight. I hate the morals in Twilight. I think Twilight as, it, as a thing is an easy watch. It's a fun read. I love it. I've got all the books, all the DVDs, all, all of it in the cinema. Terrible morals. Don't let your teenage daughters watch it because that is not how to run a relationship. But <laughs> also, if you were undead, you would not go to school for centuries, would you? you <laughs> You would tell everyone you're 20 and leave. You know, you'd be done. So they're really square. But um, it, it just depends. I think, honestly, it depends which one people grew up with, which, they, which took a fancy. And everyone wants to be a bit other. Everyone yeah. wants to see it be a bit different. And, and if you're a creature of the night, you can't be more different then, can you? So people want to be different from the norm. And the interesting thing is, and, and some of my most favourite goths will tell you this, an awful lot of goths and people who like vampires, whatever, are trying so desperately to be different and they all look like each other. You know, it's, it, mm. it's they end up being a crowd anyway. So um, the ones that I like to think I know the better ones and they don't, they're excellent. But, um, you know, it, it's that thing, I think it is just that thing of trying to be other, really, and, and, and that idea of immortality and a different life. And of course, you've always got endless riches. So who wouldn't? Well, that's what I was going to ask, too, is, is it this uh, fascination with immortality? Because we even see that with uh, movies like Highlander and stuff like that. Mm, mm. Yeah. And, and it is, but that's the interesting thing, isn't it? People are fascinated by the idea of immortality and they think they want it. You mm. really wouldn't want immortality. I mean, if you've, seen the, if you've seen The Hunger, you know, that's basically a vampire movie, but they do not have a happy ending. You know, they just get really, really old and decrepit, and then they lie there mouldering for the rest of time. You know, when she shuts David Bowie away in his coffin to, to just lie there forever, it's heartbreaking, you know, because he, he thinks he's, he's got immortality, but what he hasn't got is eternal youth. Um, and that's the difference. And Kafka, Franz Kafka said, um, the meaning of life is that it stops. Hmm. And that, I think... It's probably why people get obsessed with vampires, because we have that safety net. We do stop. You know, there's a, actually me just snagging Twilight, but there's a bit in one of them, I think it might be Breaking Dawn, where she's finally, finally five books in, turned into a vampire, the most tedious vampire ever. But anyway, um, <laughs> God, they're boring. But she's turned into a vampire, and, she, and, and, and I love the line, she says, I was born to be a vampire, which is a dichotomy, if ever I heard one. And also a really terrible career choice. But... She, um, so she, and, it, and she ponders this fact that, you know, you're going to be there forever, to the end of time. What happens? You just stay there. You watch everyone you know, you love, your children, your grandchildren, their grandchildren, they all die. The, mm. yeah, the world goes up in smoke and then reestablishes itself. What? You're just sitting there watching it. It's, it's appalling. People think it's an amazing, it would be an amazing thing, but actually I think it would be the worst thing you could possibly think of. Well, I guess, yeah. <laughs> but now, now, one thing, now, vampires are very sexual as well. Like, it seems like, other than Dark Shadows, all of the movies and, and you know, like uh, Interview with the Vampire and Rice and all that stuff, it's very, mm. there's a very big sexual ele element and homosexual erotic as well. Yeah. As, it's just very, it's a very big element in it. Uh, it mm. means a lot. And... Um, I, I wonder why that is. 
I think it's because it's it's physical, isn't it? I mean, a vampire is literally feeding on another person. You, have, if you want, if you were going down the psychoanalytical route, you, you know, you've got penetration of fangs in necks. You know, it's and and if even in a human setup, if you're with somebody, you know, that you're in an intimate relationship or whatever, you are offering them your neck or you know, tender bits, aren't you? Um, it's that intimacy and vulnerability, and it's that giving uh, giving your all to somebody you know you're giving your life to somebody or or you're trusting them not to take your life so um it's and also vampires are hot you know they are always hot there is that element of the minute you are turned into a vampire i mean i'm a good few pounds overweight i'd say I reckon the minute I turned into a vampire, I'm, apparently I'm suddenly 40 pounds lighter and I've got <laughs> millions in the bank and my dress sense is amazing. And, you know, so there is, that you, you, there is that assumption that you turn into a perfect version of yourself um, and you're the hottest thing ever and everyone adores you and you can get anything and you can do anything. Let's face it, you're not going to get crap you in the middle of sex if you're a vampire. Um, <laughs> You, you can just get on, get down and dirty and not worry about it. So I think it's that, th it's that thing of perfection, isn't it? You know, vampires are seen as perfect, even when they're not. You look at things like tree blood, you know, which are a little bit more raw. I love tree blood because it's a bit rawer um, and they are, they are open about what they are and they're trying to live in, in reality sort of thing. But they're all gorgeous. Yeah. You know, mm. even the ones that supposedly aren't, they're all gorgeous. So... Yeah, people see a, a, a being a pinnacle of humanity, I suppose. Yeah, and I find it interesting because I do true crime, and when I know I wrote uh, some cult activity in, in one book, and there was that um, guy that thought he was a vampire that came back after 400 years, and he had his own group following him, and they were out, you know, killing people. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it's really the mind is so powerful that it can talk itself into such a a story you know yeah and i mean that is the thing is that's using the vampire trope as a tool isn't it right. that is a cult leader manipulating people um so you you get similar with Crowley, Alistair Crowley and things like that, you know, or Waco, you know, stuff like this. You've got people who whip up the power of Crowdthink or whatever um, to follow them and give them power and, and it gives them power over life and death. Um, and I suppose the sort of vampire angle is is the most glamorous version of it. It's clearly not true. It's not like because vampirism, you know, even if it was a real thing, you would be able to see it. You'd be able to, you know, somebody is biting somebody else and they're drinking their blood and it's making them better. A human, however much they would like to think they're a vampire, they can't do that. You know, they don't have the teeth. Even if they did, you're not... Have you seen where vampire teeth are in the mouth? Always. They're not in the right place. <laughs> you, know, you wouldn't even get the right place. So it 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 just doesn't work so if people are deluded enough to think that i get, I get the ones that you know try to live the vampire lifestyle it's not my cup of tea at all but i can see why they might want to do that if they if they want to in a completely consensual relationship safely drink something else's blood that's up to them and that other person i i've got a, an absolute rule that as long as it's not you know 
non-consensual harming kids animals whatever then you know you don't yuck on someone's yum as is as the saying goes if that's what you want to do you go and do it um it i can't imagine it being very pleasant blood clots and it congeals and it's not very nice but that's just a personal choice and and maybe they feel better for doing it. there are diseases you know porphyria can mm. give people vampiric sort of tendencies it's um a disease that is potentially what george iii had you know the madness of king george and all that sort of thing um but it's never been entirely decided um porphyria can make people sensitive to sunlight it can make you allergic to the onion family alliums and stuff like that which includes garlic um it can give them a form of pica which is the the um desire that pregnant women often get for eating odd things and that can often include blood and it's believed to be an iron a lack of iron in the system so there are medical reasons people might present as that um but but as for them going and doing it and following a cult leader then no that's down that's down to somebody manipulating them and it's not to do with them really that person really thinking they're a vampire i don't think right right they're incubuses and succubuses <laughs> yeah you know if, if you want to incubus and succubus sounds like a, i think that sounds like a fun and fun job actually yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I'm going I'm to see if I can get a transfer to that department. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not touching that one now. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> not today. No, <laughs> it's, it's Friday. How did you write this book about the vampires? Like, what is it? And I don't mean like got you into it necessarily, but what made you decide to write about vampires in popular culture? And what were you hoping that your readers got got from the book? I did what I think a lot of writers do, and I wrote the book I wanted to read. Um, because what I wanted was a book, and I've got endless books about vampires, but some of them are brilliant. The factual ones are, are brilliant. You know, there's a book by Nick Green called The Vampire in New History. That's an excellent book. Very factual, straightforward, you know, and also, or you've got your sort of slight hysterical vampire fiction. I wanted a book that was a fun read. I mean, that's what I do with everything generally. You know, it's what I did with the Victorians. Um, and I've got a book about the Regency coming out next year. And it's the same thing. You know, what I like doing is finding a subject that I love because I wouldn't write about something I didn't didn't really, really like. There'd be no point. You've got to spend months thinking about it. Um and I really love it, and it gives me the opportunity to dig into bits of it that maybe I haven't done before. But then I can show it to other people and go, look, this is great. This is why I think this is great. You know, don't you think it's great too, sort of thing. Um, but I can't do it without being quite lighthearted. I've, I've come across, I like to think I've come across being lighthearted and entertaining. Some people might just say I'm trite sometimes. But um, it, I can't do anything but write the, the way I speak. And I, I think that's just, it's more authentic that way anyway. I I'd rather write like that. Um, but I wanted, yeah, I wanted a book that was the book I'd have liked to have read 20 years ago. You know, it's got the basic overview. It had to be a history of the vampire popper culture, not the, because there are a million and millions of versions of vampires just in the last 100, 200 years. Mm. There's... I, I forever every day I get a message somewhere on social media going, "Oh, but you didn't, you, you didn't include this version that was only released in Patagonia in 1972 or whatever." 
and I, and I left out Korean vampires entirely, sort of Asian vampires, because to me that's too important a topic. It was, it's a big topic. It's got tied up sort of traditions in itself. Somebody else can do that better than me. Um, and I didn't know enough about it. What I wanted was the vampires that most of us know. You know, the vampires we grew up with, the vampires, because even if you're in your teens or 20s today, you probably, you'll have had the opportunity to see the old Draculas or, or Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Francis Ford Coppola version, which is, you know, by far and away probably the most popular adaptation of it. Most people who have a slight interest have seen that. And I wanted to write a book for those people, you know, that liked the... Like the popular vampires, like the sexy vampires, like the really cool old ones. They weren't too fussed about. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to be precious about this stuff. It's fun. Literature in general, people get so precious and they're like, oh, you did this wrong and you did that wrong. Well, I did my history of it. And if people want to write their own history, brilliant. Go and do it because it's, it's huge fun, you know. But we've all got different views on everything. You know, everybody could read the same book and you'd come back with a different view on it. So I wanted to write my view. Um, and it, it is in some places very personally my view, particularly with my opinions on some of the stuff. But I had to cherry pick, you know, and I just thought there's no point. I picked one or two that I didn't like to, to balance it. But there's no point picking things I can't be enthusiastic about, even if it's just enthusiastically disgusted at it, you know. Um, it, I, I had to have a feeling about it. As far as I'm concerned in life, you've got to, you've got to do things, feel things, you know, um, experience things. And I didn't want to write a dry book. So, yeah, I, I was very lucky in that my publishers sort of, they did make me rewrite it a little bit and, and repropose it. And it is, you know, um, and it's for the better for it because I was, I was originally going to focus on Victorian vampires. And, um, it's better for this because it's things like you forget how much of popular media affects our views in it as well. There's, there's a fair bit in the book about um, vampires in the media. There was a big thing in the Gorbals in, um, in Glasgow in the 1950s where children, um, primary school children, decided that there was a vampire stalking the local graveyard. And, and the hundreds of children, like primary school age kids, these are sort of like six to ten years old, trawling the, um, the graveyard looking for a vampire. And, and the newspapers came and there was an uproar. That led to the 1955 um, Children and Young Persons Harmful Publications Act in the UK. And there was a similar one in the, in the States, in which, which ended up with certain comics being banned and the introduction of Superman, you know, the good heroes, and as opposed to the slightly scary heroes, you know. And that's from vampire mythology. So it affects our day-to-day -day life. Um, it, it, it is interesting how our lives entwine. And, and when the world is a scary place, people take refuge in fantasy. You know, so people are interested, and this last year, I'm sure people have read more fiction books in this last year than they have in a very long time, because what had better to escape than into fantasy? Um, so, I mean, I hope, I that's, I've gone off topic a little bit there, because I tend to ramble when I start feeling passionate about things. But, yeah, I wanted to write the sort of book that I'd have wanted to read that was interesting, fun, didn't try to trip itself up with being every last single fact about it, because you don't need to know that. You just need to know the basics and have some fun with it. Uh, is, is there a difference in the Victorian vampires then as 
compared to modern day? Well, like I said, they were, I suppose the Victorian vampires are even more other. Whereas the modern day vampires, especially where you hit your pinnacle with like your, your Twilight or, um, all Laurel K. Hamilton's undead characters, you know, they're in a something approaching our world. You know, True Blood is approaching our world. The Victorian ones with that otherworldliness, or the people who are reading about it wouldn't have been in the world. You know, they were quite often very wealthy in the stories or whatever. And the people buying the Penny Dreadfuls probably weren't the wealthiest people. They were the ones that were looking for a bit of escape in reading. Um, and the vampires then had the power because of their social status and their perceived position in life perhaps whereas now and they were they were noticeably different whereas now they have their power in fiction or whatever because they you know can in theory walk amongst us and we wouldn't know um so and, and also there's the overhang it fascinates me that even now you look at something like twilight where you've got edward cullen who's supposedly you know, the perfect gentleman. He's not, but we haven't got enough time to go into that. He's a terribly abusive boyfriend. But um, he is based on the Victorian hero, isn't he? You know, he speaks properly. She, she notes how he speaks, that he's from a different time. He is carefully dressed, you know. Um, and Bill Compton in True Blood, he's from the American Civil War, I think it is, off the top of my head. Um, War of Independence, or, or I can never remember which which one it is, and um, you know they they're perceived as gentlemen in the old-fashioned style of gentlemen, and if it's women, they're in the old-fashioned femme fatale, almost movie star genre sort of thing. So I was always interested in that hangover for that people have for what they perceive perhaps as better days, which almost certainly weren't. Um, but I, but I love the, I do love modern vampires. I absolutely love them. I think, think the fact that they're still going, you know, is brilliant. But it, it is notable that it still keeps going back to the originals. I mean, my favourite recent adaptation was the BBC version of Dracula, which came out last year with Clay Bang in the lead role. And that really, they did change it. And Mark Gattis and Stephen Moffat did an amazing job at it. But it's the old Dracula right. again. Yeah. You know, he ends up in the modern world, but it's the old Dracula. So, yeah, we keep going back. And whether that's because people are scared of going forward, maybe, I don't know. Well, with, um, with going back to folklore, uh, what type of rituals were used to identify a vampire and uh, to dispatch one? Um, whether identifying it, people, when you read the old stories, they're pretty obvious um, because there'll be tales of somebody prowling around and attacking people. You know, they, they weren't very subtle. Um, there was quite a lot, um, a lot connected to public health. You've got the New England Vampire Panic, which was Mercy Brown. Mm. Um, and the chances are Mercy's family were dying of TB, consumption as it would have been called then. And they believed that the person, that one of the family, usually obviously the last one that survived, would have been sucking the health out of the other ones in order to survive. And they went, they were just all getting TB and dying. They would, obviously, the, the, you know, they would stake them. That's, the, that's a common one. Um, they would stake them. They would cut the heads off. Sometimes they would take their insides out. They would disembowel them and bury that elsewhere. Um, usually chopping a head off. I, I always say to people, say, well, how do you kill a vampire? I say, chop the heads off. That kills anybody. Hmm. You know, it doesn't matter if they're alive or dead. Just chop the head off. It's fine. 
or shoot them. <laughs> shoot, shoot them. If they're at close range, shoot them. Because if you blow somebody's head off, that's it, they're done. Um, so, you know, you don't need to get too hung up on the customs, really. But, um, yeah, they, they would stake them. And they, they talked quite a bit about uh, how these bodies from the ground, and there are, Fluckinger, um, Johan Fluckinger in, in Serbia in the 1700s wrote reports for the, for the government about how he'd gone and um, been involved in, in digging up and dispatching vampires. Um, and it was reported in the newspapers at the time across Europe and, and into the States. And he talked of staking them and blood bursting out of them and, and you know, and, and they're making groaning noises, nothing. Of course, what people didn't really know then as well is that, that decomposing bodies can do that. Um, but bodies mm. start getting purge fluid, which is, you know, is basically the, the decomposition of the insides. So if you if a body started bloating after death and you stake it, there is going to be awful uh, fluids coming out of it. If you or if it's bloated with gases, it might make a noise because you're forcing air past vocal cords or whatever. So those sort of things probably did happen, but um, it, it doesn't mean the people were undead. But yeah, they generally went for staking or, or beheading, and and I would say that's a safe option if you want to get rid of a vampire. <laughs> well, there you go. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now I, I now I know how to get rid of the neighbor. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just uh, so when you get, you get into the sexuality, I'm fascinated with. It. Was there any surprises in Victorian or 19th century um, sexuality that you didn't expect to find out? Um. I knew a reasonable bit about Victorian sexuality already because I've been interested in it for years. Um, what I, I think what surprised me was the scale of it. I, I knew that, as I said, people were always doing anything you think of, people were doing it. But I didn't realise the scale. I mean, there was, because this is the time, and, and a part of the reason for all the... the the push for the change in society and everything is we're into the second industrial revolution by this point. So you've got the printing press, you've got newspapers, you've got books, you've got photography develop, start developing, what a ridiculous thing to say. Um, you've got, you know, the beginning of, of proper camera photography. Um, of course, the, the first thing you get books and cameras, the first thing somebody does is make porn, you know. Um, you've got Hollywell Street in London, which in the 1800s was described in the Times as the most, I think, the most disgusting street in the Western world or something. And it was a tiny little um, overhung street in London. It's, it's underneath the Strand now. The Strand was widened into Oldgate and Hollywell Street went under. Um, and I'm sure that that was done intentionally because it was seen as the worst place to be. But it was basically um, a street of publishers, and these pu and some of them were legit publishers and, and did your average mainstream books. An awful lot had an upstairs where if you knew and to give the nudge and wink, you could go up and look at those special books. And Because written pornography was often seen as, as an upper class sort of literature at that point, you know. You, you'd had John Cullen's Fanny Hill in the 1700s, so... There, there was already a tradition of written pornography. And when you've got cameras, it got more so. And then, but what is interesting is that even at that point, there is, um, there is male homosexuality in, in the pornography, you know, which was punishable by death up until 1835 in the UK. Uh, uh, well, actually, up until the 1860s, the last hangings for it were, I think, 1835. 
And um, so, but even then, it was already there. It was in photographic form. You had um, Fanny and Stella who went on trial. There were two young men who dressed as women. And they did it so um, successfully that at one occasion they were and they were in their male suits and, and they were arrested for impersonating for being women impersonating men. Um, so this is how good they were. I mean, RuPaul would have loved them and um, they'd have been sitting on the, at the Queen's side. But, you know, but so you had Fanny Starr who, who were um, put on trial and subjected to awful physical investigation by a, a police doctor to to discuss um to figure out the state of their anuses the records of that are still in highgate cemetery offices for some unknown reason highgate have got it um and this is the 1800s so all this was going on you, there's an awful lot of royalty at the time we're almost certainly gay um you know, some of the princes were definitely up to stuff on the side. You've got um, poor old Oscar Wilde, um, who thought, I think, that he was a big enough personality to get away with his behaviour. But he was Bosey. His sort of love was the son of Marcus of Queensbury, who had already lost a son to supposed um, suicide or there's talk of it being murder or whatever, having had a relationship with somebody somebody high up. I have to be really careful <laughs> what I say about some of these situations. <laughs> and, um, you know, the tower's still there. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's right. That's... Um, but, um, you know, so it was going on and it, and it was all coming out. So I think, yeah, I was so interested. And, and even then, that's not even just the start of it. You know, I'm, I'm currently editing a book about Regency scandals, sex and scandal in, scandals in Regency Britain. And that's not actually next year. But there's a chap in the seven, late 1700s who became known as the London Monster. And he loved to run around poking ladies with pins. And it was clearly a fetish, you know. And it became a sort of almost exciting thing. And if you were pinned by this chap, then you were attractive enough for the monster to want to get you. So there's, there's always fascinating stories. There's, people are interesting. It doesn't matter what century you're in. People are doing fascinating things, usually with each other, when they shouldn't be. Well, that says it all. Um, <laughs> so now, where do people find out more about you and find more about your books? Do you have, like, a website or a... I do. I have a website. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at Violet Fenn altogether. Um, my website is called sexdeathrockandroll.com with an N, N in the middle, sexdeathrockandroll.com. My publishers are Pen and Sword and my books are on there. Or you can just search me on Amazon. If you Google me, you'll find the oddest articles I've written all over the years. So please don't hold that against me. I've written some very strange <laughs> stuff. Um, but Googling me is quite entertaining. Um, but yeah, I'm at Violet Fenn on Twitter and Instagram, and my website is sexdeathrockandroll.com, and I love hearing from people, even if it's just a chat. Okay. Well, we'll have that on our website as well, so that people can find you with one click if they're listening, you know, or awesome. when they listen and stuff like that. So, what, what's next? Anything? Uh, what, what's your next book coming up? I've got um, Secrets and Scandals of Regency Britain, Sex, Death, and Proxy Rule coming out next year. Um, I'm currently, because I've written historical fact for several years now, and, and sort of three, three books have either come out or, or I've written during a pandemic, and that is enough for anybody. So I am writing fiction at the moment. I'm writing about the undead 
obviously, in the modern <laughs> day in, in a well-known city in England. So, um, my, yeah, my next plan is, is to put that out and um, because I'm with a history publisher. I don't actually have an agent, so if anyone's listening and, and wants me, that's great. Um, so I'm looking to get into fiction now. But, um, yeah, and I'm, pod- I'm going to start a podcast. I already do occasional YouTube videos. But, yeah, Regency. Regency is next, so I'm going even earlier. Even earlier. Um, but, but that's about as early as I get. I like the clothes to this point. I go by the clothes. Yeah. Um, so late 1700s. Before that, the clothes are too big. Yeah. Before that. Yeah, it's you just can get, too big. You can, you can, by, the 80, by the 1780s, you can get through a doorway, and that's my standard in life. <laughs> you don't want to take four hours to get dressed up? You know, it doesn't take as long as you think. That's a myth. Everyone thinks that. No, you can put it all on, Victorian stuff, outfits, whatever. You can get it all on. It's all it's for yourself. Absolute myth, but that's subject for another day, because I could go on about that for ages. But <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of layers, but it wasn't difficult to get on, because people needed to go to the loo. You forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what what does a vampire do during the pandemic? That's oh. a good question. <laughs> I just stays thought about in, that. Stays yeah. indoors and, and, and eats a lot of chocolate because apparently that's... Um, but don't they, 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 <laughs> didn't they, aren't they like turn into bats anyway? So they shouldn't get infected with COVID, right? They should already have it. Yeah, big up the bats. It's not the bats' fault, you know what I mean? It's yeah. up the bats. Um, <laughs> You know, and and it's not bloodborne. I think the vampires are fine. They're probably having a lovely time because we've all been shut up indoors for twelve months. They can just get on it, pick people up out the windows. You know, it's great. They've had a lovely time. We've been we've been an all you can eat buffet for the last twelve months. Well, I mean that's that's okay anyway. You know, how <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, about yeah. get rid of a few more? It's just too many anyway. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was it was it did, did it affect you like having the pandemic and having you know all this crazy stuff over the last few years does that sort of hugely hugely yeah, um yeah. i mean i i have been suffering for many years and i work from home however um i the just the overtones of of the worry going on i mean i've got relatives i mean i see i've, I've still at my age i've still got my grandmother she's 95 and wow. and i haven't oh, yeah. seen it I managed to see her last week, and I hadn't seen her for months um, because of the pandemic, because she's been quarant- sort of sort of quarantining. Um, our, my first book, the Victorians book, was meant to come out the week England first went into lockdown. So that stopped because the publishers couldn't get into their warehouses. So that came out two months late. I've had no launches for any of my history books because the social distancing hasn't allowed for it. Um, I wrote, I finished writing the vampire book in the beginning of lockdown and I wrote the entirety of the Regency book during lockdown. So, as I said, I've published or written three books since the start of lockdown and that's been with, you know, my adult but children at home 24-7. I haven't been able to go, there's a library in North Wales, it's the UK's only residential library called Gladstone's because it belonged to William Gladstone, the Prime Minister. I used to go there and stay there to write. They've obviously closed down. Um, so I've been sat with children on my son's partner, who I'd met once before, had come to visit the night before lockdown and ended up with us for four months. Oh boy. My wow. eldest son's partner. Amazingly, they're still together. They did move, that she did move out and find a house of her own, and now he goes to her. <laughs> but but yeah, she did stay. She was here for months, having met me once. So it was a good job we got on. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, yeah so I'm, I, I've spent 12 months sitting in my bedroom surrounded by towering books and writing about vampires and the Regency. So it's, it's been difficult. It's been claustrophobic. Mm. And now I think I've forgotten how to deal with people. Oh, just just yeah. just call them names, finger them, push them down. But I did that anyway. Yeah, that so, anyway. Well, so you yeah. just got to get back into the routine <laughs> <laughs> of, 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 of tripping people, you know. And, you know. I swear, you know, you know, yeah. next, the first social thing I go out to, I've, I've just agreed to do. I've got a, I do talks on um, in person sometimes, but obviously at the moment I'm doing them online for, for different organisations. And, and I've just agreed the first one in person in July, and I'm thinking, oh my god, that's actual people's in front of me, and I don't know what to do. Um, and I'll clearly just forget how to walk across the room or something, you know. But, well, but yeah, it's it's yeah, it's just mad. It's I'm not good with people at the best of times, as anyone who knows me in person will tell you. You know, I've got no filters. Yeah. Um, and, and, but I work on the principle that if people get on with you and they know you, then it's fine, isn't it? And if they don't tolerate it, then you shouldn't be around them anyway. Right, right. You know, to hell yeah. with them. Um, <laughs> wow. It's certainly, a, a, what a great conversation. We've uh, really enjoyed it. <laughs> it's been and, fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it could talk forever, you know. This is, uh, this is nice. Um, and we've learned a lot. My God, you know, uh, Violet has a 95-year-old grandmother who's still alive. She's probably a vampire, that's why. <laughs> you know? And vampires... She looks like it. Yeah, she's very... She's not got not wrinkles for a 95-year-old. Oh, yeah, you see, I, I've heard about these ones. And vampires fart when they're dead. They can, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, was yeah, that wouldn't have been so glamorous, would it, if Edward no. Cullen had come out no. through the window and farted? I would have liked to see, <laughs> you know, a Dracula, a big... Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> and if I that also likes to read pornography. So there you go. We get I, I actually used to write it. I, I had a career as an erotica writer before this one. So oh, and go. I did quite well at it. So I have no shame about that whatsoever. Some of my favorite people write pornography. So I'm I'm big for that. That's good. Well, you see, we've learned a lot. Well, <laughs> we have. Our our guest, uh Violet Fenn. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Violet. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! How dare you? If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. 